friends. Today we're talking a whole lot about something that's very dear to me, plants. As most of you know, I consider myself a folk herbalist as well as a green witch, and I'm studying clinical herbalism to hopefully one day be able to act as a community healer of sorts. So plants are pretty involved in every aspect of my life, and a lot of witches use herbs every day in their practice. But the books that come from the occult section, they really don't have enough information to like thoroughly and safely use herbs as medicine. Those books aren't going to take into account the medicinal actions or like contraindications of the herbs they're suggesting you use in teas or as oil to anoint your body with. And those are medicinal uses of plants. And those books won't really help you choose herbs that are right for your specific physical body. Most of those books only really focus on the spiritual actions and they're not going to talk about the medicinal actions. So today, I'm going to answer some questions from a follower and we're going to talk about practical herbalism. I would be your hostess and resident restless witch, Kai. Welcome to this very green episode of Witchcraft for the Restless. blanket fort. So my apologies for the road noise if it's worse than usual. Um, but there's no way I would be sitting in a blanket fort today because it is hot out there. It's been hovering around like 40 degrees Celsius um, with the humidex. And I think that's around 103-104 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's been rather hot to say the least. And it's week 16 of social distancing and week six of the civil rights protests happening in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so it's been a rough one and we've all been fighting through it. And so we could all use some extra healing um, physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally. And so I thought that I would talk about the most healing thing, or at least what I feel is the most healing thing that I do. And that is working with plants. Everything about plants, from growing them and harvesting to processing and blending and using them, um, all of that feels really healing to me. And I'm a firm believer that plants are healing for literally everyone. I feel like it's a fundamental part of humanness and our collective consciousness as a species. I think that humans are meant to work within nature. So getting more plants in your life, living plants and plant spirit in your life can only be a good thing, right? And I also am a firm believer that gardening uh, can and should be done by anyone who wants to do it. So I highly encourage you to give it a shot, but don't just stick a plant in the ground and hope it grows. Set yourself up for success and sort of get to know it first and get to know its growing needs and how to read when it's asking for water versus when it's overwatered. Basically, there's no such thing as a black thumb and arming yourself with um, a little bit of knowledge and a lot of patience can really go a long way. And yeah, I really don't believe that there's such a thing as a black thumb. That phrase makes me so sad because if you just use a little bit of initial research and sort of keep track of what you're doing and how your plants are reacting to what you're doing, anyone can grow literally anything. Sure, growing plants is a skill, but just like any other skill, it can be learned and sharpened. So no more of this green thumb, black thumb nonsense. <laughs> and while we're at it, um, this doesn't really have anything to do with herbalism or anything. I'm just thinking about plants. This is coming to mind. But um, I want us to stop thinking about any plant as an easy or like a starter plant. In my experience, they all sort of take some getting used to. And some people have a tendency to overwater, so a plant that likes wet feet would be great for them as an easy starter plant, whereas some people tend to like to forget their plants, and so maybe something that likes to be dry would be best suited for them. So it's hard to say if any plant is specifically easy or good for beginners, because of course there's a learning curve whenever you're taking care of any new species. Anywho, this episode isn't about growing plants. It's going to be mostly about how to learn about plants. 
and this was mostly inspired by Mouse of Heatherwitch on Tumblr. And I'll kick it off with her submission to Wrestlings from the Grove. Welcome to Wrestlings from the Grove. Wrestlings being comments, discussions, or questions, and the Grove being you. This segment was formerly entitled The Coven Corner, but I have a vague memory of that being the title of a whole other podcast, Um, so I'm going to switch it up to be safe, and now it's even more on brand, I guess. (laughs) The wrestling in this episode comes from Mouse, which is rather appropriate. Her question makes a wonderful entry into the reference book. She says, I'd love to hear you talk about the path you took getting into herbalism. What inspired you? What resources were helpful? What school or whatever are you getting certified through? What resources would you recommend for those looking to get more serious with it? I've enjoyed the snippets that you've shared so far and would love to hear whatever you feel called to share on the matter. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for your question. These are fantastic starting points and I'll go through each one. So what inspired me? Well, for as long as I can remember, I've been a nature kid, of course. My mom sort of was a bit of a flower child, but sort of in the way that um, was rebelling against the suburban housewife life. But growing up, we were raised with some natural remedies, like um, we took echinacea tincture to strengthen our immune systems, or bathed in oatmeal and chamomile to calm a rash, or used aloe straight from the plant on a sunburn. But yeah, it was mostly just little things like that, nothing too wild. But with that and my thirst of curiosity about nature, I knew that plants could be medicinal from a really early age. But I really didn't have much interest at all in plants. In fact, one of our good family friends was a biologist, and my parents always um, encouraged me to ask him questions, but his specialty was in plants, and I just really didn't care. And had I known what my interests and where my career would lie in the future, I would have used him as a resource. (laughs) But yeah, as a kid, I just really didn't have much interest in plants at all. And definitely not medicine. Most of my attention was taken by the fauna side of the web. (laughs) Until about six years ago, I guess. So as you might know, I go through hyper-focus phases, absorbing all the knowledge I can with an insatiable hunger about a specific topic for like days or weeks at a time. And usually it's like a chain, it's like a rabbit hole effect. I'll start in one topic that would actually be useful to my current life and then just get sucked down a rabbit hole. And my pattern is usually studying heavily for um, a few days or weeks at a time. And then there's usually a bit of a lull, um, maybe a few days or weeks again, and then it's on to the next type of focus. So, this time I started with searching for ways to heal the actual causes of my various disorders and chronic conditions, and I was specifically looking for something that wasn't just going to mitigate symptoms, like the Western system had done so far for my chronic migraines. And it turns out that healing the actual causes behind your various symptoms is what herbalism is all about. That's the entire point, basically. It's medicine that heals the whole body helping it to function in a way that it was built to, mostly to prevent, but also to treat the root cause of whatever ails you. And then I chose to learn how to heal not only myself, but others as well. For if I'm to put in all this effort and work into learning about plant medicine, why not deepen that knowledge so that it can be useful for others as well? Most of my hyperfocuses are (laughs) just for me. I learn about things for my own sake and because I think that they're fun and because I can use them. But I truly believe that herbal medicine will never not be useful, especially if you're using this as integrative medicine with other forms as well, but that's a whole other topic. Um, This hyper-focus on plant medicine coincided with my hyper-focus on witchcraft and folk magic, so that's sort of how those two things became inextricably linked for me. 
I didn't directly connect the two until after I started my formal education by way of the correspondence course through the Living Center, which I'll talk about in a bit. And it wasn't until after I started that course that I started actively practicing the two, witchcraft and herbalism, together. As a beginner, I wanted to be taken seriously when I suggested herbal remedies, and so I shied away a little bit from integrating my spiritual um, practice with the herbal medicine and um, with herbalism in general because I wanted it to be taken seriously, and so I studied all of the not magical parts of herbal medicine. (laughs) And again, this was before I actually had a formal teacher, so this was just me researching on my own. Um, I was only choosing to look up all of the very um, physical medicinal properties and actions and the chemical makeups of the plants, and I was not working with them spiritually basically at all. Thankfully, that phase only lasted a few months. (laughs) And I think that it was less than a year after that that I signed up for the course. And that's when herbalism and witchcraft and my life as a whole sort of became one, I guess. It was no longer like I had a witchcraft practice and I studied herbalism and I also did other stuff. Um, It was more integrated than that. It was more of a lifestyle, I suppose. So, thank you to that course for really um, changing that up for me. It really was one of those, like, slow-born revelations for me. And my witchcraft practice became basically synonymous with my herbalism practice and study, um, thanks to Rosemary Gladstar, who wrote my course. She's a very influential and wise herbalist from the States, She's been around since before herbalism became mainstream and before there were herbalism schools popping up everywhere, and her information is so valuable. And in the course that I'm taking, she talks about the spirit of the plants and a bit about her spiritual practice, and even though it's by and large a practical herbalism course, as the name would suggest, hearing her a serious herbalist, like serious for real, taken seriously herbalist, talk about working within both the spiritual realm and the biological slash physical realms to really make effective medicine and smart, informed choices when practicing herbal medicine. It sort of felt like something that made perfect sense that I just hadn't even considered before. Like permission to practice in that same folk herbalist kind of way where medicine is both physical and spiritual. And to me that feels a little bit more therapeutic and not just prescriptive. Integrated medicine like that always seemed like, like sure, it's the ideal, but I never really considered it as a possibility until taking this course. So yeah, it was really influential to me. And that is the um, journey to my inspiration to taking the course. The next bit of your question was what resources were helpful? Before I decided to look for a school to gain some formal education, some of the biggest resources I turned to were podcasts and websites. And that's because they're accessible. And I listen to a lot of podcasts anyways. I'll list a whole bunch more in the show notes, but these ones are some of my favorites. Real Herbalism Radio and their website, The Practical Herbalist, has tons of resources. Mountain Rose Herbs is a fantastic supplier of dried herbs and other herbal products, and they have a podcast called Herbal Radio, and most of their episodes were recordings from herbal conferences, from what I remember. And another podcast is Herb Mentor Radio from Learning Herbs. And then a newer favorite is The Plant Path by Sage Popham, and he's the founder of the School of Evolutionary Herbalism and the author of a book by the same name. And his work not only integrates herbal medicine with some of the more traditional Western spiritualities like the elemental system, but he also leans heavily into the alchemical and astrological realms as well. So his resources are super interesting and definitely different knowledge than you're going to find in other places. Each of these podcasts tends towards the interview style show, featuring a lot of different herbalists from a ton of different lines of practice and schools of thought. 
my best advice would be to keep going down rabbit holes. If you hear an interview you like, look up that herbalist website and see if they've done any other shows or written books. And then if you like that content, see who they recommend and keep on going and going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> That's how I found almost all of my most valuable resources. That's not to say that everything or everyone you come across when you're going down those rabbit holes will be valuable, but that is to say that if you just stop at one resource, you won't get to dig deeper and find those real gems. Plus, a lot of online content creators have Patreon pages or other subscription-type learning tools available. The Practical Herbalist, for example, they run the Herbal Nerd Society, where you pay quite a reasonable membership fee and then you gain access to tons of really valuable and well-researched articles. Before starting my course, I didn't have any books specifically about herbal medicine, so I'll cover books a bit later and get on to the next bit of the question. What school are you getting certified through? Like I said at the top, I'm studying through the Living Centre, which is a school in London, Ontario, which is about two and a half hours from here. Um, I visited there once to buy some plants and it was beautiful, and I wish that I could afford to take a weekend and do some courses there, and that's something that I will for sure aim to do in the future. But since I'm studying at home, it is... Uh, much slower going than I originally hoped. <laughs> I'm still working away towards my goal of gaining enough hours in education to join the Ontario Herbalist Association. So after completing this course, I'll need to take one more of these of similar length, um, plus some weekend workshops and a couple science courses. And those science courses would be through a nearby college. So it may take some years if my current situation stays the same. But if I can start being financially supported by projects like The Restless Witch and Witchcraft for the Restless and the like, um, I could definitely dedicate more time to studying and get through the material a whole lot faster. So I'm going to take a moment to talk about the Patreon page and remind you that there's quite a bit of um, bonus content there already. Plus there's all the regular monthly perks as well. So if you're curious, you can check that out and I will link that in the show notes. As far as herbal education, there are tons of other schools that offer everything that you would need to have a practice of your own or be able to function as just a community healer or even just be more informed in your own personal household practice. And there are schools that would offer everything you would need all in one place to join the Ontario Herbalist Association, but um, I just was drawn to the Living Centre and uh, their education model because I could afford to take one unit, like one one course at a time, instead of doing it all at once, which I could not afford at the time. And plus, I really like learning on my own. I really like learning at home. So that model just worked well for me, and I really like them a whole lot. It's a really wonderfully written course and um, really practical. So you'll build a huge apothecary of herbs and herbal preparations even in just the first few units. So I really, really recommend it to anyone with the ability to study on their own. Even if you just took this one course, uh, the, this one practical herbalism course, it's 10 units long, you would definitely have the confidence to function as like a household herbalist with being able to treat whatever ails your family herbally. The next bit of your question is what resources would you recommend for those looking to get more serious with it? If you're serious about being able to like work with herbs medicinally, honestly, even if you're just working with them on yourself, but especially if you want to treat others medicinally with herbs, I highly recommend looking up your local herbal associations or guilds or whatever you have locally and seeing what resources or schools they mention. And if you're interested in joining at a professional level, they often have requirements, so you can take a look at what those are. And this is especially important because some clubs are meant for anyone who wants to learn and join and like new beginners as well as professionals, whereas some others like the Ontario Herbalist Association is a professional group meant for practicing professional herbalists only. So take a look into that and also uh, Mountain Rose Herbs has a ton of links to more herbal education and other schools and I'll link that in the show notes. And if you do want to practice professionally, 
while there's no governmentally regulated license um, in the U.S. and Ontario, at least, I'm not sure about other places, um, if you can join a professional association, it really can help you be a better practitioner. You'll be connected with other herbalists that can help you out when you get stumped or when you're stuck on something, or if someone has an area of specialty that you are unfamiliar with. Plus, it shows your potential clients that you are a reliable professional because if your association like mine has those requirements they know that you can fulfill those requirements and you know what you're doing i don't agree with a governmentally regulated licensing system i'm glad we do things this way but i do think that um groups professional groups are valuable also, by joining a professional group, there's often a, a code of ethics that you're agreeing to, so your potential clients know that you've at least agreed to abide by these ethical and moral codes. Another resource that might be considered more serious than online research is investing in good literature. Books are a wonderful resource and definitely worth the investment, in my opinion. Of course, this really depends on your learning style. I really like to have a physical book to flip through and to uh, read from. It helps me learn better because I can take notes right physically there in the book. Anyways, in my course included were some books um, with the course materials and I found some various others along the way that have been really wonderful and useful. I'll mention a few here. It might sound like a lot but I promise it's just a few and I'll list the rest of the ones that I've really loved in the show notes. Included in my course materials were um, Herbal Recipes for Vibrant Health by Rosemary Gladstar, which seems a little bit on the nose to include one of um, Rosemary's books in Rosemary's course, but it's a really great little book and it's super useful. Um, it reads a lot like a cookbook. It's got 175 recipes as well as some mini herbal monographs in the back, and those are actually what I use most for quick reference. It's often just the fastest to flip through that and jog my memory. The next book in the course materials was Planting for the Future by Rosemary Gladstar and Hirsch. This one is much more of a textbook, like a few of these will be. It's pretty text-heavy, but really, really thorough. This book puts heavy focus on just a few threatened native species, um, and it's got some really deep and thorough information on each of them. It also goes over ideas of alternative herbs that you might use in a similar application. It also talks about the cultivation of these plants and other ways to protect the current wild populations. As a, a nature kid, an herbalist, and a witch, nature conservation has always been something that I've been aware of and careful to do my part in. Foraging or wildcrafting your herbs responsibly in a way that not only conserves the current populations but helps their numbers to grow and thrive has always been important, but of course, um, it is ever-growing in importance as ecosystems and habitats are lost. The next book is another textbook type, but can function more as a reference book as well. It's The Herbal Medicine Maker's Handbook by James Green. This one has almost everything that you ever wanted to know about the hows and whys of making herbal medicine. From herbal preparations and actions to complete recipes, um, this book has such important and relevant information that I think anyone who wants to make herbal medicine should probably have it to at least reference. And finally, the last um, textbook included was a field guide of medicinal plants that's relevant to my local region. And keep in mind that the recommendation for this book would vary depending on location, so take a look for a field guide that is specific to your location. Personally, I use Peterson's Field Guide to Medicinal Plants and Herbs of Eastern and Central North America. This one is a pretty standard field guide, uh, but it does have a really good array of photos. The only downside, I think, is that it's only arranged by the color of the blossom. So if the plant happens to not be in bloom and you're trying to identify it, it can be a little bit tricky. But it does have a lot of really great information and it lists some traditional medicinal uses as well as some modern uses. A good field guide is invaluable, but remember that you never want to rely solely on one source for correct identification of any herb. 
my general rule, my personal rule for identification is to confirm it in at least three places. So one of those could be a field guide. If that plant doesn't happen to be in your physical book, a reputable online like ID source can work instead. Or another source could be a real experienced person, preferably multiple people. If you can't find an herb guide to take you on an herb walk in person, there are tons of Facebook groups dedicated to the identification of plants. Um, I'm a member of a few groups on there, and while not every answer you get will be correct by any means, they'll at least give you starting places to help you rule stuff out. And next I want to mention some other books that I've found uh, really valuable, but that weren't included as part of the course materials. Healing with the Herbs of Life by Leslie Tierra is another big one with tons of information and it has information from a wide array of herbal paths from western to ayurveda to um, some traditional chinese medicine and some others as well it is packed full and then there's alchemy of herbs by rosalie de la forêt this is another recipe style book text with um, amazing photos and recipes and this one is geared towards herbs that you probably already have in your spice cabinet so that one could be a really great starting place if you don't have access to anything else right now. And then a really gorgeous resource is The Illustrated Herbiary by Maya Toll. This book is more about the spiritual medicine um, that plants can offer us and is full of art from cover to cover. Art both visually and in the written word, it is a stunning piece of work. It's not super wordy, but the piece on each herb really evokes the spirit of the plant. It also usually comes with a set of oracle cards as well. Um, I say usually because my copy was actually a gift from my dear partner Chris, but he didn't know to check the back pocket, the back envelope, to make sure the cards were in there, and it was still stickered shut when I got it, but there were no cards inside. <laughs> Poor Christopher felt pretty terrible. So uh, I can't give a review on the oracle cards themselves, but the artwork is stunning. And then there's a book that is not a direct reference, but more of a historical and like cultural context reference. And that's Culpepper's Complete Herbal. This one really only has use as a historical reference. And due to its age, it really shouldn't be used for direct advice on herbal medicine. It was originally published in the 1600s. I should double check that before I keep that in here. It was originally published in 1653 and it contains a lot of historical information that Nicholas Culpepper collected on absolutely tons of plants. And it's so interesting and wonderful to be able to read the thoughts on herbal medicine from that long ago. But also know that a lot of the information that Culpepper would have been given credit for likely came from unnamed sources like midwives and indigenous people and healers and other people who never got credit for this knowledge. And some of them or their communities may have even been persecuted for this very knowledge at some point. So when you're reading historical texts, please keep in mind the context from which they come. Just because something is old doesn't make it any more true than modern texts, and also remember to thank those unnamed sources when you're using this information, even if it is just for historical context. And with that, we close this edition of Rustlings from the Grove and get into the next segment, which will be a continuation of this entry into the reference book. Now that you've got some starting points for where to look for more information, it can be hard to find a way to keep everything that you've learned from all the various sources organized and in one place. And I think that us witches are quite familiar with this conundrum, and the witch's solution is a grimoire, or a book of shadows, whatever you choose to call it, while an herbalist's book is called an herbal portfolio or an herbal folio. It has some other different names as well but I usually call it an herbal portfolio. And this is usually full of herbal monographs, um, which are collections of information about one specific plant, sort of a portrait of that plant, if you will, which include medicinal actions and information, of course, 
but they often also include preparation methods and recipes, as well as personal tips and tricks. So how does one even go about starting an herbal portfolio? How are we going to know what information to write down from each herb and what to leave out? If we wrote down every single thing from every single herb, that would be way too much and your book would no longer become useful as a reference source because it would take you forever to find anything. So when you're making your herbal portfolio, you want to keep in mind what information is going to be important to you to include. But the way that most of us start our herbals is without a template, just sort of noting each new piece of information we learn about that specific plant. Personally, mine started in an Evernote folder, and that's where a lot of mine still lives, with one note per plant, and then on that note would be everything that I had learned about that specific plant. But uh, doing this without a template often means that you've got like a different set of pieces of information on each plant, and that doesn't really lend well to being able to compare herbs against each other. So my best advice, if you're able to, is to decide what information you'll want to include for each plant beforehand. And of course you can do this as you go and you'll just be like rearranging things as you go. And that is completely fine too. And sometimes it's easier to customize things that way. Personally, I had to be studying for about four years before I finally created a template that I'm mostly happy with. So don't fret if it takes you a while to settle on a layout or what information you want to include. Some things that are on pretty much all monographs are the botanical names of the plants, um, its native regions or habitats, and how it's generally used, like preparations and parts used, the medicinal actions, and of course any contraindications or cautions. And those things would sort of be the, the barest of bones information-wise, but that would be a really good place to start. The template for herbal monographs that I've um, developed over the years includes medicinal information as well as spiritual information, specifically because as a green witch, both are important to me and um, both are important to get to know and be well acquainted with in my practice. And as an animist, the medicinal and spiritual actions are basically synonymous and inseparable. Same with an herb's folkloric and traditional uses and medicinal uses and spell work uses and other spiritual and magical uses. Those are all just as intertwined with the plants as their physical chemical properties are. So I keep both the medicinal and magical information all in one place. And actually, a version of this monograph is available on my Etsy shop for just $3 if you'd like that as a resource. It's a five-sheet spreadsheet um, document with lots of different spaces for all the relevant information as well as notes of your own. But if you're more into physical journals, I have that um, semi-secret project that I've mentioned once before maybe. Um, I don't actually remember if I mentioned it. I probably have. And I'd really love for it to become a reality, but uh, for that I'll need your help. <laughs> and I say semi-secret because it's not a for sure thing. And I'm working on it on my own in the hopes that it becomes a thing. But right now it is semi-secret because I'll tell you about it. But I'm not going to show you anything until it is for sure happening. <laughs> Basically, the plan is to create a Green Witch's Grimoire journal type thing. Um, that's not for sure the title, of course. That's a work in progress. But... Um, I published the herbal monograph and wanted to offer more than just a digital copy. And I wanted to include spaces for a whole lot more information and uh, more personalized information and a more organic feel. Plus, as I said, I just really like a physical book to reference. So far, I've started drafting layout ideas for this journal where a two-page spread will have space for all of your relevant medicinal botanical and magical properties, as well as information about um, herbal preparations and spots for you to keep track of what spells and medicines you've made so far with this plant, and lots more. And one of the perks of a physical book is that you can press physical specimens of each plant right in there. So a physical journal, especially for herbalism, is really valuable. Recently, uh, Tyler Thrasher has released a plant journal 
that has just been finished and is currently shipping to its Kickstarter backers, and I'm really, really excited to receive mine. And I actually conceived of this journal before I heard of Tyler's Project, but I love Tyler's Project, and the journal that I had in mind is a bit kind of like that, but instead of it being about growing and propagating plants, it would be more about plants medicinally, magically, botanically, etc. So it would basically be really useful for green witches, or basically anyone that uses plants spiritually. Uh, the botanical and medicinal information will always be relevant as well. Included would be an example monograph all filled out, with pages to fill in tons more of your own, and hopefully be able to have the option of a binding that lets you rearrange the pages to suit your needs as your portfolio grows. One of the problems that I haven't been able to quite fix yet on my own without having just a three ring binder is rearranging the pages because I like to keep them alphabetical and when you add a new herb you need to slot it into the right slot. But with most nice looking journals that aren't just three ring binders you can't do that. So the goal would be to have a binding where it is possible to rearrange the pages. That would be ideal situation. Who knows if we're at, if we'll actually get there. Um, if we don't, I might have them be perforated so that you can tear them out and put them into a three ring binder. I'm not sure. It's all very nebulous and just ideas right now. So also included would be some basic preparation formulas like how to make an infusion versus a decoction or how to make a salve or an infused oil and some basic plant morphology to learn the language that the field guides will use to describe the plants. This is pretty important if the plants you want to identify don't have photos in your field guide. A lot of them use specific biological um, language to describe their shapes and their growth habits, so having a handle on that language and knowing how to recognize it can be really important. But like I said, everything except the monograph pages, which um, are going to be different than the spreadsheet document I have in the Etsy shop. Everything else is still just an idea and just dreaming until I can afford to really spend the time this project would need on it. But in the meantime, you can make your own physical or digital portfolio, of course, and my advice would be to take lots of notes, but make sure that you're able to keep it handy, or at least have some sort of note-taking device handy. You never know where you're going to pick up some extra little bits of information. Like, if I'm listening to a podcast, there might be a little piece of folklore that includes an herb, and I'll make a note of that and add it to that herb's page in the portfolio later. And another tip that I usually fail to do myself is to give yourself way more space under each category of information than you think you'll need. Make your rows and columns quite a bit larger than you think is necessary because I promise the abundance of information on each herb paired with your own experiences of it will definitely fill up the space you give it. Herbal monographs tend to be sort of like purses. No matter how big it is, you'll always manage to fill it and wish there was more space, which is a great problem to have because it means that you have a lot of information until you have to go looking inside for anything. I think that I'm going to run with this purse slash bag analogy because I feel like most people can relate to packing a bag and feeling like they can't find anything or that like you're really overpacked or really underpacked. If you have a huge bag, but lots of neat little organized compartments, it's easy to pack in a whole ton, but find what you're looking for. You can structure your monograph layout similarly in a way that labels categories of information with consistency. Or if little compartments aren't your style, keep your bag smaller and just pack a little lighter. Give yourself just enough information to jog your memory and maybe prompt more research. That style of monograph is best when you have easy access to more thorough reference sources like books and such, and that way you can just put a little notation, a little citation of where to find more information in the book. Personally, I'm an overpacker when I'm going on a trip or when I'm cramming information into monographs, so I really love having a little box to fill out for each plant with a consistent layout so that I can flip through and easily find and compare herbs. It's also really helpful if you can include a bibliography, and that way you can make reference of where you found each little bit of information. I find it really helpful to include page numbers as well, and that way if you're looking to expand on the information that's in your monograph, you can just quickly grab that book and you won't have to try and write it all down in your monograph. Your portfolio shouldn't be just a place for collecting outside information though. Whenever you use a plant, keep track of your experiences in there. Things like, why did you choose that herb? Was it effective in the application that you chose it for? 
um, what else was included in the medicine or spell or ritual, and what were the results? What would you change next time? That sort of thing. And this practice is just like keeping track of your magical experiences in a grimoire or other magical journal. I suppose that an herbal portfolio acts basically as an herbal grimoire, because each one is going to be different and tailored to your own practice. So I'd love to see what you come up with, and I'd also love your feedback on my monograph template that I have published. And the herbal topics will continue in the reference book in future segments. Some other topics that I'd like to touch on in future segments would be things like identifying and growing or foraging and harvesting herbs, drying them or preparing them for use, um, making infused oils, making a hydrosol, making tea blends, and really any other plant-related topic you can think of. So if you have any other questions or specific topics you'd like me to talk about, please let me know. As per usual, I'll be mentioning all the ways you can get in touch with me at the end of the show. So that's it for this big long entry into the reference book. And up next, I thought that I would talk about a witch tip that came to mind this week. It's been a couple weeks since I recorded the first bit of this podcast episode, so um, we've had a little bit of a time jump in the middle here. But this past week I was driving to my client's place and I pass a lot of farms on my way and a lot of them are wheat fields and the wheat is just looking gorgeous right now and it reminded me that it is probably time to get talking to those farmers to see if they would mind providing you with a couple bouquets of sheaves of wheat for your Lunasa or your Lamas celebrations. And I don't personally know any wheat farmers and so the first place that I turned to was my community Facebook page because I know that a lot of farmers from the community are on there. And I had a couple different people offer some wheat and I ended up connecting with um, a lady who owns a wheat field as well as an apiary and she sells honey. So in return for providing the wheat I bought one of her jars of honey as well. She makes soy candles as well, and um, if you want to follow her on Instagram, she has a cute little page. It's called Three Little Birds XOXO. Anyways, and she provided me with a big bunch of really gorgeous wheat, and I'm really excited to include it in my celebrations. So yeah, now is the time to get talking to your farmers before they cut and bale it for harvest. And if you're really feeling ambitious, you could ask for enough to actually thresh yourself and then process into flour. That would be really ambitious. Maybe one day I'll attempt that, but for now I'm just going to use it as decor and in ritual. And yeah, so that is this week's witch tip. Mildly green witch related. <laughs> and now I'd like to close the episode the usual way with our tarot reading. When I was young, okay, um, this episode I'm going to use the botanical tarot again simply because it seems appropriate. And this is actually my second time around recording this part of the reading. Originally the plan was just a one card pull um, inspired by the wheat harvest. And for that I pulled aloe vera, which is the three of medicines in the botanical tarot. But after thinking on that for a little while, the wheat harvest and Lunasa is really is a celebration of not only what the earth can give to us um, on its own in the form of food and plants to eat, but also of the work that we ourselves put in in order to, you know, process and mill the flour. So that original card that I pulled, aloe vera, still represents the wheat, and this next card is going to represent the other half of that, the effort that we have to put in. This will lend more context of the how to practically uh, dive deeper and digest the lesson that aloe vera brings just as the wheat harvest needs to be processed and milled down in order for us to digest it, this next card is going to be what effort we can put in in order to make that lesson, the wheat harvest, more digestible for us. So basically this card is representing the effort that um, it takes after the wheat harvest to get that wheat from field to your table in the form of a loaf of bread. And so for that, we have lavender which is the four of herbs. Lavender is kind of full of really practical advice because it's so familiar to a lot of us. Um, it's really interesting that this is both a pair of like really common everyday, you're probably familiar with them plants. So together, this feels to me like you have the tools at hand already. Use the things that you're most familiar with in order to sort of embrace the lessons of whatever season you're in 
and break them down and make them more digestible for yourself. And the first card, aloe vera, the three of medicines, is representing the wheat in this harvest scenario. And I know it's going to be maybe a little bit confusing to use plant a plant analogy to describe plant cards, but bear with me here. <laughs> so the wheat in this scenario is um, the things that have you've been growing and tending to, but most of it is not your physical effort putting in the labor, right? Like... It takes the plant its whole entire life cycle for it to get from seed to harvest. Um, so that's that's a whole lot of effort on the Earth's part, and you're just kind of helping that along. The aloe vera here is representing the things that you've sort of been tending to over a long season. And aloe vera here is representing maybe some lessons or something that you've been tending to patiently and carefully over the season, like a wheat crop. But now the earth and the plants have done their entire job. The wheat has reached maturity. The plants, the seeds have done their entire life cycle and are done. So aloe vera is teaching us a lesson that outside sources have done as much as they can for us. And it's sort of been a matter of patience and careful tending. But now is the time to make that harvest, which is a big celebration, and any harvest time is a celebratory time. But after the harvest comes a whole lot more steps in order to get that wheat from, you know, the field to a point where we can actually consume it. So after harvest, there's still threshing and milling and baking it into bread before it can get to a point where we can actually use it. And the lesson that aloe vera teaches us is definitely one of healing and soothing but also protection. It's got spines, and if you use the wrong species, or if you use it in the wrong way, it can be really irritating to your skin. But used in the right way, it is so soothing and healing internally and externally. So I think that the things that outside sources have been teaching us have been things about how to self-soothe, <laughs> and maybe when to soothe, and when not to be so soothing. Right? Like, even though aloe vera is full of this gooey gel on the inside, it still protects itself with spines. So in regards to that lesson, we've learned maybe all we can from outside sources, but maybe now is the time that you're going to need to put in more of your own conscious effort into really absorbing that lesson and helping it have a use in your life. A sack of grain isn't much use to a human without doing something else to it. You can either feed it to something or grow it into more wheat or process it down into flour, but any way you look at it, you need to do something with it yourself in order to make that grain useful. Okay, so the doing stuff part is lavender. And again, this is a really familiar soothing and calming herb. So the biggest lessons are that of healing, of course. So in order to even process the lessons that aloe vera brought us, to me it feels like we're going to be turning to really familiar. I'm pretty sure that everyone knows what lavender smells like or has at least experienced the scent at some point in your lives. And whether you have a positive or negative association with it, it's familiar. And I think that it's appropriate that right now the things that we can do in order to absorb these lessons are going to be what is familiar to us. It's what we have on hand during this pandemic, and it's the tools that are already familiar to us within ourselves. I think that a lot of times it can feel like you need to learn a whole new set of skills in order to heal at all, and that's, that's not true. I think that most people have familiar tools that they could use in maybe an unfamiliar way in order to achieve what they're looking for. And in this case, aloe vera is teaching us that it's about healing and soothing and protecting. And the lavender being the practical um, effort that we put in to achieve that are things that we already have. And I know that sounds a little pat, like, oh, you had the tools within yourself all along, <laughs> right? Um, but in this time of social isolation, that's sort of all we have at some point. And that's not to say that you can't reach out to outside sources, but that is saying that the ability to reach out to those sources is already here. Like, we already have that tool. If reaching outside yourself is what you need, you already have 
that tool, that conscious know-how of how to do that. And Lavender's like, look, you already, you already know that, so just reach out and do the thing. <laughs> and similarly, if what you need to do is really internal and a lot of internal work, Lavender's also saying, look, you already, you already know how to do that. You already know how to self-reflect. You can use it in a more conscious and mindful way in order to heal those traumas. And like lavender, it is really familiar to everyone, but unfortunately I feel like most people are familiar with it in essential oil form and I, I hate that. <laughs> I'm not a huge proponent of um, using a lot of essential oils in the home or in a way that it's just, you know, marketed to the public. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. But that aside, I feel like a lot of people are most familiar with lavender as an essential oil. But that is often not the most effective or useful or even safe application. And so while consciously you know that you have lavender as a tool, you might need to use it in a way that is unfamiliar, which means putting in a little bit more actual effort into using it as a tool. Sort of like we need to put a little more actual effort into processing wheat in order to make that useful to us. So aloe vera is pointing us to the area of our life that has been you know, growing in lessons and experience, which is about that, like, soothing and, like, healing those traumas, those burns, even protecting against scars. And those are things that the outside world has sort of been helping us to heal, like how aloe vera is an outside thing that helps us to heal. And lavender is where our own effort comes in, which means taking another look at the tools that you have at hand that you're familiar with, and maybe take a look at using them in a more conscious way or just in a way that's more mindful of the full potential of that tool that you have at hand. Um, that could be a friend or a relationship or it could be how introspective you are as a person. That can feel like a blessing or a curse. Um, and I think that Lavender is urging us to see these things as blessings instead of curses. So... We have the tools to do all the threshing and milling and baking that we need to. We have those tools available to us. It just takes some effort on our part. So yeah, that's everything for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you find any value in this podcast, I would really appreciate financial support. You can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the restless witch, or you can toss me a few coins at co-fi.com slash the restless witch. You can email me at therestlesswitch at gmail.com. Visit my website, therestlesswitch.com. I'm on Twitter as restless underscore witch and Tumblr and Instagram as at therestlesswitch. You can check out my Etsy shop, The Restless Witch. I have a feeling that how often I say that is going to make it start not sounding like words. And if you'd like to be featured in a future segment of Rustlings from the Grove, you can send me a voice message via the link below. The music this episode was His Last Chair of the Stars by Dr. Turtle. And it was written, produced, hosted, everything by me, Kai, the Restless Witch. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you join us in the next episode. Here's to staying curious. Be well. <laughs>